You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where my anal retentiveness finally paid off as my spreadsheet let me know I had already chosen R.E.M. stand as an intro song, so I needed to pick out something else. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two Drew Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Engel, and as always, I'm here to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, covering the most maligned Green Lanterns out there, Mr. Kyle Rayner and Mr. Guy Gardner. Again, we're talking primarily about Kyle Rayner this time out, as we're looking at Kyle Rayner's issue number 147, Green Lantern number 147. Well, it's not his issue number 147. Again, I should script this stuff out. Anyway, we're following up from Kyle Rayner's story of him essentially becoming a near-god to a story dealing with Jon Stewart and what's been going on with him. As you know, as we've been following in his book, he's not been able to walk. However, all medical scans, and even scans by Kyle himself in his nigh-godhood, had found nothing wrong with him, except for a little residual parallax energy residing in his spine. For some reason, he just had some sort of mental block keeping him from being able to walk. And in this issue, we find out exactly what that mental block is. However, what we find out is probably been done better on different... Well, in different iterations of different shows. If some of you might remember the MASH finale, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, I think it was called, you may know where we're going with this. But it's an interesting story, written by Judd Winnick again, and uh, penciled by Dale Eaglesham, and thankfully it has no Graven in it. Well, very limited amount of Graven, so that's always a plus. Plus, we're going to get some emails from the wonderful listeners, as well as some great new podcast promos, which I hope you'll enjoy. So stay tuned for some awesome promos coming up, and then right after that, we'll get into our coverage of Green Lantern number 147. Stay tuned, folks. Let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Thank you. 
for Captain America! It's a dying man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from the Long Walks. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday... So, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Two true freaks just got a little more random. Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Superman, Captain Marvel, Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2, Sergeant Rock, the Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow, Jonah Hex, Commandy. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing, Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that 
is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Arion. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. And what you just heard there was a brand new promo for the Tales of the Justice Society of America and their coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm glad that Mike and Scott have gotten back to doing Tales, and now they're getting into the era where basically this is what they've been destined to do, covering Crisis. I know it's Scott's favorite tale. I know Mike loves it as well. I can't wait to listen to this show, and I hope you can't wait either. These shows should be coming out concurrently with uh, just one of the guys on Fridays, hopefully all throughout the rest of 2015. Uh, the first issue probably should have dropped by the time this episode is out. I can't wait to listen to it. So thank you, Scott and Mike, for putting out such a great show. I'm looking forward to your coverage of the crisis. But I'm also looking forward to reading some of you guys' email, especially this one from Scott Davis, which we get from the Just One of the Guys email bag. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and Scott, to this time out, is writing about Circle of Fire. He writes in, stating, Sean, I was able to read the Circle of Fire story recently, and overall I was really impressed with the beginning of the series, but I agree with you that the rest of them seemed kind of like filler issues and had a strange ending. Here are some comments. With number one, he said, This is an awesome issue, and the artwork was amazing throughout it. The picture of Alex DeWitt on the, in the fridge on page 7 was pretty powerful, although I actually missed it on my first read-through. Batman's blue jockstrap on page 20 was hilarious. Yeah, that was kind of odd for Batman to actually have the briefs on. I, I remember commenting on that and thinking, this looked kind of out of character, but mm, whatever. Maybe, maybe on the uh, satellite it gets cold, so the briefs help keep him warm. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the, uh, it's the uh, bat thermal underwear. Wonder Woman getting punched in the face on page 25 was pretty funny, too. I thought the clown construct that Kyle made on page 29 was in poor taste when everyone was getting beaten up by Oblivion because it doesn't seem like a good time to be funny. I agree with you that the power girl yellow yellow form with the turtleneck is terrible. Well, Mike Bailey likes it, so of course it is just a skin-tight uniform on power girl, so there you go. Alex looks amazing on page 50, uh, Scott continues in her Green Lantern uniform, though. This issue was fantastic. Green Lantern and Adam Strange number one, this was a good issue, and the art was fantastic in it. I didn't realize that Adam Strange's wife was so hot. Well, again, I think that was just the artist kind of rendering her in a way that, well, was uncommon at the time. I uh, agree with you that it's weak that Adam didn't make any effort to learn the Iranian's language. I actually like the dialogue on page 12 where Green Lightning is talking about Earth's future having so little plant life. Wow, Adam's self-doubt on uh, self-doubt dialogue on page 13 is really hard to read. I agree the dialogue about the flashing lights and cartoons causing seizures and kids is kind of t- or kind of took me out of the story. Yeah, 
that was a trope of the 70s and 80s that, oh, uh, watching all these videos and watching all these music videos or watching these TVs with all the flashing lights will cause kids to have seizures. And I think it was one of those things that was just overplayed at the time to kind of make people hysterical. But there's never been any time in the news media when people have done anything to make people hysterical, especially not recently. Uh, he continues saying, uh, at the end, I thought sh- I thought it was strange that there was no jealousy between Alana and Green Lightning, which leads me to an important question. Is Green Lightning hot or not? I'm not sure. You guys missed the panel of Alana holding her boobs on page 21. What? I guess I must have. He said it was a great issue. Um, Green Lightning hot or not? Uh, yeah. Yeah, hot. I think it's kind of unnerving the fact that she has the hood covering up her head, so you don't know whether or not she has any hair under there. But I, I think if she were to take off the hood, and, well, even if she didn't have hair, I think she's pretty attractive. I don't have a problem with her, so, yeah, hi, why not? Queen Lantern, the Atom number one, he says, This was an awesome issue with the kids, Hunter and Forrest, and I really enjoyed the anime-style art by Trevor McCarthy. I agree it's still tough to see the Twin Towers in comics, and I'll always think it'll be hard with, to see with our generation. A good call about how Dr. Light got a lantern in Green Lantern number 80. Yeah, I was kind of perplexed how how Dr. Light was able to show up in this issue. I thought he was trapped in the lantern, and I, I think I remember something in uh, issue 80 or 81 around the time of, uh, oh, what was it? The, was it the, it wasn't Circle of Fire. Yeah, maybe it was Circle of Fire, yeah, because they were trying to get all these light-based you know, people to try and reignite the sun or whatever, and it just didn't work. So, yeah, it's, it's continuity. He goes back saying, what's the deal with him raping someone in future issues? Oh, that's that's Infinite Crisis. If you haven't read Infinite Crisis, I, I would recommend you do it. And I'd also recommend, as a side note, to go check out Professor Alan Middleton and Emily's show, The Shortbox Showcase. Uh, a couple of months ago, they did an episode uh, covering Identity Crisis, and they were very enamored of it. And I, it actually got me, it got me to take out my uh, trade of it and reread it because, uh, yeah, it's actually a good story with a lot of controversy to it, simply because of the issue of Sue Dibney getting raped and killed, which yes, isn't very fun, but. It does serve the story, and it is an interesting mystery, so I'd recommend go check it out. He says, finally, this was another great issue by Brian K. Vaughn. Green Lantern Firestorm number one. This was a good story by Jay Ferber about Firestorm trying to find the Omega option. Shag was a great guest host. Oh, I can't let him hear that. He'll be all, uh, his head's already big enough. Especially with the Firestorm appearing on the Flash show now. But he really enjoyed the info that he provided about Firestorm's history because I'm completely unfamiliar with the character. I'm actually a bit surprised that Shag hated this issue, though. I agree it was pretty convenient that Ronnie had a gut feeling to look at this planet out of all the planets of the galaxy, and it happened to have Professor Stein on this one terrorizing planet. Again, comics and coincidence, they go hand in hand. While the alien on page 8 is smoking hot. Yes, she was. There was some, uh... There was some nice um, circular orb-type things going on there. Then he says, what a bitch move of her to lie about her having the Omega option. Though. Yeah, um, I guess the hot ones always let, let you down that way. Green Lantern and Power Girl number one. He says, this was an okay issue about Power Girl trying to find the JLA. I agree with Michael Bailey that her outfit is pretty good in this issue. 
she looks great on page three. It is interesting to hear that this was a fifth week event. WTF, Michael said in the past that Power Girl was allergic to aspartame and Diet Cola, which made her moody. Weird stuff, yeah. Everything that they've done with Power Girl to try and retcon her existence in the current DC Universe, well, not current as of now, but the current as of then DC Universe really didn't work. You know, the fact that they couldn't mention Earth 2 specifically just kind of made Power Girl an anomaly in the uh, current day of that time DC Universe. So there were many writers who tried to take her in different ways and explain how she interacted and how she acted. So... Yeah, it was unfortunate. He finishes off the statement, Right now, I'm kind of wishing that Brian K. Vaughn had written the whole series instead of just having the guest writers. Green Lantern and Green Lantern number one, he said this was a terrible filler issue by winning. The art was great and Alex looks amazing in this issue, but absolutely nothing happens here. If anything, there's some good character building with building with Alex, but then you get to the ridiculous scene with a weird black millipede slowing them down for a second as they move on through the tunnel. You made a good point that Kyle has already let Alex go, so why do we have to go through all this again? Weak issue. And again, I'll have to agree with you. I don't think much was done in this issue other than just filling time. Uh, Winnick did okay, but... Uh, Alex Alex and Kyle have gotten over each other. Or at least Kyle has gotten over Alex, and he's moved on, so I don't see why we have to rehash it. I mean, it's okay to bring it up every once in a while to define Kyle as a character, but it shouldn't be something that he has to deal with emotionally. Finishing up, he says, Circle of Fire number two. Speaking of having to go through all of this again, do we really need to have Kyle grow up and prove himself again in this issue? I wasn't expecting this story to end like this at all. I was disappointed after reading this issue, especially when we find out that Kyle was the reason for this whole thing. The only person that was really peeved at Kyle was Adam Strange for a good reason, because Ron was basically destroyed. Also, his wife nearly put a bullet through his head as well. Yeah, I guess that could get you a little PO'd. Shag made a great point. Kyle should have been overcome with grief for all of this, but he promptly forgets about it. I agree the art was a step down on this issue, too. The death scene in Forest on page 13 was brutal, and you made a good point about how the ring construct of the flying horse on page 15 should have been just green. I don't understand how the flying uh, I don't understand how they stopped the neutron star, but I'm not going to spend any time thinking about it. Good because it was just comics, you have to go with it. And wow, what a cheap shot by Superman at Hal by saying he didn't think he had the strength to resist the temptation of absolute power. So Kyle is going to grow up to be to defeat Oblivion? Weak. Overall, I agree with you that this is a step back for Kyle, and it's too bad that it ended this way. Well, I agree with you, it was kind of a step back. There were parts in there that didn't really work with the character of Kyle as he was developing. But as you know now, if you're still listening, uh, the Oblivion storyline does have something to do with the ongoing storying of Kyle. So I, I think we'll, I, I think it, I'm glad that they took elements from the Circle of Fire storyline when it did and incorporated it into the ongoing story of Green Lantern rather than just tossing it off as some fifth week event that really had nothing to do with continuity. Finishing up, Scott says, I've been reading the current GL New Guardians issues, and it's interesting that the New 52 version of Oblivion showed up in the Green Lantern New Guardians Annual Number 2 in May of 2014. Oblivion came into being when Kyle was on the other side of the source wall. You'll have to read the issues to know what that means. It was a decent story. Thanks, Sean, from the head of your Canadian contingent, Scott. Uh, yeah, again, now that we know that 
Green Lantern New Guardians, uh, Red Lantern, and surprisingly enough, Green Lantern Corps is being canceled. Um, it may be impetus for me to go pick up some of those titles if I can find them in cheap bins. Uh, you know, I'd like to find out what's going on with Kyle. I heard New Guardians, for the most part, was a good run. Um, Red Lanterns definitely picked up when Charles Sewell, I think, was on it, so I may have to go seek those out. But thanks, Scott, for writing in. I always love getting letters from you, and I appreciate you writing in, like I said. If you guys would like to write into the show, the email address for the show is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. All letters are warmly, warmly welcomed. Be them positive, negative, your thoughts on the show, your thoughts on the comics, whatever. I love listening to you guys. Hopefully now you'll love listening to me as I get into my coverage of Green Lantern number 147. Green Lantern number 147 had a cover date of April 2002 and a release date of February 6, 2002. The cover price was two twenty five US and three seventy five Canada, and the title was Standing Up. The writer was Judd Winnick, the penciler was Dale Eaglesham, inker Rodney Ramos, colorist Moose Bowman, letterer Kurt Hathaway, assistant editor Nachi Castro, and the editor was Bob Shrek. In John Stewart's apartment, John and Kyle Rayner once again discuss the issue of John's inability to walk. John thinks that fatalities mentioned that his paralysis is psychosomatic might just be her torturing him for what he did to her home planet. Kyle disagrees, saying that nothing is wrong with John's spine, aside from a residual patch of energy that might have been blocking nerve transmissions. John asks if Kyle, as Ion, could remove that energy, and Kyle tells him that he had it removed yesterday. Asking Kyle to leave, John pulls his legs up from his wheelchair and attempts to stand up, which he manages to do for a fleeting moment before crashing to the floor. Cut to the interview of Dr. David Nephew, John's psychologist, who is trying to get John to work through his physical problems by exploring any mental blocks he might have. Nephew has him recount the story of him taking his aunt's car on a joyride. Unfortunately, the car was struck by a drunk driver and totaled, but John and his brother Damon survived the crash. Their puppy, who was in the back seat, wasn't so lucky. From that point on, John turned his life around and worked towards his career as an architect, but his eclectic designs and, let's face it, skin color got him let go from the job after eight months. But everything turned around when he became Green Lantern, helping him better focus his life, but the destruction of Zanshi was another blow that brought him down again. Feeling they need to try drastic measures to discover what is ailing John, Dr. Nephew decides to hypnotize John to delve deeper into his thoughts. John tells him of how he felt he was always playing catch-up as Green Lantern, falling behind Hal Jordan or Guy Gardner. He also tells of his abusive father who instilled in him a contempt for society that he still doesn't feel that he's gotten over. He mentions the time with the Dark Stars and how he became a leader and falling in love with Marin further developed him. He talks of his battle with Graven and how this led to his paralysis. But Nephew says this isn't quite it. There's something else driving him to this something that has him riding on the edge. And that's when he comes back to the car crash. His brother was in the front seat, and the puppy, named Rose, was sitting in the back. But now, John remembers it all. The puppy didn't survive the crash. And even worse, Rose, the puppy, was actually John's little sister. Finally, remembering the tragedy, John awakens from the hypnotic state as Nephew assures the devastated Lantern that it will get easier from here. 
Sometime later, back at John's apartment, Moran thanks Dr. Nephew for his help with John. Closing the door, Moran walks into the bedroom to see John, standing on his own, looking out the apartment's window. John says it'll be a while before he's back to 100%, and he wishes he was a better man for Moran. Embracing him, she replies that he's faced down more demons than most people would see in a lifetime, and that she knows no better man. on this issue and yes it's a dramatic story that adds more character to John Stewart and that's always a good thing and it also wraps up his whole paralysis thing but it is essentially the Hawkeye tale from the final episode of MASH plus the idea that hypnosis is a way to resolve the plot I'm not really down with that however the fact that I can that that galls me in the story and the idea of guys flying around with Magical wishing rings doesn't is probably just on me. I'm not certain, however, this story sticks in continuity or if this is just another example of a writer taking a character like John and doing whatever they want with him. Because, let's face it, John is one of those characters that whenever a new writer comes in and writes him, he writes him however he wants to write him. He's not one of these characters that's been fleshed out like Hal or Guy or even Kyle who has a contiguous backstory that flows on with the character throughout the rest of his stories. John seems kind of malleable, and it's kind of disappointing that there hasn't been a definitive John story other than what was probably done in Mosaic, but even that got tossed to the wayside. I am, however, liking Eaglesham's artwork, and his his art is growing on me, and by the end of the book, all of the characters look pretty good. So I've gotten over Daryl Banks, I'm finally coming into Eaglesham as an artist, and I'm starting to enjoy Judd Winnick as well. So the new art team and the new writing team are actually working really well for me in the book. But let's go ahead and move into some specifics about the book. The cover, um, again, Eaglesham's level of detail is really what's winning me over with him. Especially on this cover, the rocky surface that John's wheelchair is on is, is just incredibly detailed. There's a lot of layers to it. It's it's really nice. However, John's face is a bit off, and I think it may just be it may just be a short haircut because usually I see John as not really having an afro, but at least having a bit thicker curly hair on his head. This seems almost like a, a buzz cut, so it looks a little wonky, but physically John looks really good. It's an interesting cover with John being strapped to the wheelchair as the the Green Lantern thing is supposed to be holding him back, but that's not what we see in the book. Actually, the Green Lantern thing is a is a positive thing in his life, and it's something in his past that's holding him back from being having the ability to walk. And again, I don't know why I keep commenting on this, but Cal's haircut here on page one just really isn't working for me. I'll admit his classic look with the sort of long 90s or the longer 90s hair is kind of how I imagine Kyle to be, but this new spiky hair thing just makes him look more douchey than he should be, which is 
not how I want to see Kyle Rayner. Pages two and three, especially on page three, where we see Kyle just disappear in a sort of puff of green energy. Well, not really a puff of green energy, but he just disappears. I'm wondering if this is more of him from the last storyline of being able to be wherever he wants to be at any time, and whether this was actually Kyle being there in John's apartment, or whether this was just another part of his ion power set. Um, I guess you could put more thought into it, but this is a John Stewart story, so this is just Kyle showing up here, so it really isn't something we have to put a lot of thought into, I would assume. Page five, I like the fact that John is going to see a psychologist to try and figure out what's going on with him. However, this is just me. I don't like the name of Dr. Nephew. I think that's a stupid name for a character. It could be that there was actually a person with the last name of Nephew out there, but it just it just doesn't set well with me. So it's just a personal thing. On page six, we get to the flashback to John's memory of the car crash. And in this third panel here, it looks like neither John nor his younger brother Damon were buckled up. And it makes me wonder how they didn't get hurt during the crash. Plus, we uh, get the uh, setup of the uh, chicken clucking. I mean, the puppy. I mean, John's sister in the back. Never mind. Page seven. Here's where we get into the sort of political aspect of the book. I can see John being discriminated against at his job because he was black, especially if we want to go back to the 1960s, supposedly, when he was hired on this. If we go to the original, well, the 1960s, late 1970s, where there was a lot of discrimination still going on. But the fact that he also mentions that his dismissal came because he was one of the last people hired, some of those ideas that just don't fit in. I mean... I can understand where he would feel that way, and I can understand where it probably would have been that way. But you can also say that if he was the last person hired and he was kind of causing causing sort of – well, not causing problems, but ruffling feathers with the higher-ups in the uh, organization, they could have found that to be a way to dismiss him rather than it just being that they didn't want a black person working with him. It's – it's nice that Judd Winnick is trying to introduce not specifically the ideas that it's officially always racism that does something to diminish Jon Stewart, that there could be other circumstances that could have led to this, but the idea that racism, racism being there isn't overshadowed by the fact that there are other alternate circumstances. So it's it's interesting that Winnick, who himself is a professed liberal, would at least be putting out more than just the liberal byline that it's obviously racism. So good on him for doing that. Moving on to page nine, I don't know why in a universe where magical wishing rings and alien who can shoot heat from their eyes are acceptable, but hypnosis is a bridge too far for me. It's just my hang-up. I can... I don't like the idea of hypnosis being a cure-all for all these psychological problems that... These are things that are far more difficult and far more hard to tackle than just hypnotizing a person. And I think it's, I think this is unfortunately kind of weak storytelling for John, but it serves the purpose of the story. I just would have liked to have, to have been approached in a different manner. 
I guess maybe if this were the Phantom Stranger or some supernatural type person doing this, I'd be more comfortable with it. But since it's just a psychologist doing it, it feels weird. Maybe that's just me again. But again, it just all kind of ties into feeling a lot like the storyline from that last episode of MASH, where Alan Alda's character was being psychoanalyzed by the character, oh, I can't remember his name. <clears throat> I think it was Sidney Freeman, maybe? I don't know. I'll check IMDb later. But yeah, there there it is. Page 10. Uh, this is also the first time in the book that we get any mention of John's father. Now, I'm not certain if John's father was mentioned in any previous stories or whether it was mentioned in the Mosaic storyline or whether this is just something that's been brought up in Winnick's story. But here we get the mention that John's father was, you would say, kind of a radical, kind of negatively opposed to people. Um you don't want to specifically put him in the line of being a sort of black power type person, but he did definitely have a negative opinion of people who weren't, who weren't of his same ethnicity. Page 12. It's nice that the dark stars at least get some sort of mention here in John Stewart's timeline, because the dark stars did, did play a minor yet somewhat significant role in John's storyline, especially now that he's dating Marin, who was a former dark star. And, of course, uh, we couldn't have the Dark Stars without their battle with Raven, my favorite character from the Green Lantern run. At least here on page 13, Eaglesham does a decent job of drawing or rendering Raven. He looks better in this in this book than he has in previous ones. Uh, he looks kind of formidable, but, yeah, he's still Graven, so he, he sucks. Page 15, panel 4. In this in this panel, we see all the caption box of John speaking about things all have relationships to driving, hence leading that driving is somehow related to what his mental block is, and it brings the doctor nephew to come back to the idea that the accident probably had more to deal with what was going on in his life than he's willing to admit. Which leads us to page 17 and the, you know, the image of the firefighter carrying out the uh, puppy from the car rack. And then to page 19, where we realize that the puppy was actually his little sister. And it's, uh, I will admit, it's a trite ending. It's an ending that's that was mocked, or not really mocked, but homage to the the ending uh, or the, the part in the MASH episode where Hawkeye told this lady to quiet this chicken who was clucking, otherwise that would reveal their position, and it actually turned out to be a baby, and the woman either smothered or whatever basically killed her baby in order to quiet it so they wouldn't be found out, and that was Hawkeye's uh, kind of negative, that's what kind of drove him to the psychosis. It's an interesting storyline. It's an, it's obviously a very traumatic thing that would that you'd want to bury down deep inside, but the fact that it's kind of culled from that idea previously kind of just isn't as original. I would have liked Winnick to try and tackle it another way. But again, that's just my thoughts on the story. Overall, like I said, an interesting story with kind of a trite ending to it. 
I've been impressed with Winnick and I think he's a good writer and I think he could have written something more effective than him suppressing a memory of his sister dying to, to be what the block was that made him not able to walk. But there you go. Let's see if the advertisements here could make up for what was essentially, in my opinion, a mediocre story. For an inside cover, we get an advertisement for Smashing Drive, another car racing game where you go around and smash things. It's for the Xbox and GameCube. I think we talked about this last time out on the on the show. Yeah, nothing new there. Uh, we've got an advertisement for the Lifesaver Kickers thing, the Troublemaker, the, basically the Sour Patch Kid version of Lifesavers. And I know we've covered this again before. Get some more advertisements for some Disney original movies, including one with Joey Lawrence, Lee Thompson Young, and Ryan Merriman. People who I have no I well, except for Joey Lawrence, I guess he's been in other stuff. Actually, he's called Joseph Lawrence. Maybe he's trying to uh, enhance his, his career after Blossom, which didn't really happen. The movies are Jumping Ship, Jet Jackson, The Movie, and Luck of the Irish. Ooh, those are classics. No, they're not. Then another advertisement for Tang with the orangutan holding a uh, box of the powdered Tang uh, drink saying, Warning, do not exceed recommended dosage. I guess you could freebase Tang. There's something. Uh, an advertisement for Clay Animation, which is this person's anti-drug, anti which uh, has a clay-animated figure of the director holding a funnel as his megaphone. It's don't do drugs again, kids. Sure, why not? We get a two-page ad for the PlayStation 2 game of Virtua Fighter 4, which was... Just as an enhanced version of the 3D walk-around type uh, Mortal Kombat game. So rather than just going lighting up, you could you know move around in a 3D area. And uh, the graphics look pretty good for the PlayStation 2. Again, this is out of, my, out of my wheelhouse. I didn't have the PlayStation 2. This is when I wasn't playing games. But it's interesting to see. Another advertisement for Oddworld, Munch's Odyssey, another Oddworld thing. Then the uh, middle of the book has an advertisement for The Time Machine, the uh, Guy Pierce movie that was supposed to, I guess, promote the a sort of be a, I don't know, a remake of the George Powell, H.G. Wells movie. I don't remember doing it, uh, doing all well in theater, but uh, I remember seeing a lot of it. It looks interesting. It's got a uh, very attractive uh, female character on there, and it's Guy Pierce post-memento, so... Uh, I guess he's something there. Uh, the advertisement is, where would you go? Tell us in 25 words or less, and you, or 25 words or less, and you could win movie tickets to the uh, premiere of The Time Machine. Okay. Then we once again get the OnStar advertisement for a chance to win a walk-on on the uh, Batman, the next Batman movie. Interesting. Another two-page ad for Discover Galador and Join the Quest. I guess this was something at CartoonNetwork.com. It's this weird card game. I don't know. It has something to do with Lego and some other things. Maybe this was a tie-in with some of the Lego... Oh, what are the little figures? The I don't know what they are, but Lego has something to do with it. And then another uh, 
another advertisement for Galador later in there. I guess it's not only on uh, Cartoon Network, but it's on Fox Kids as well. I've, I have no memory of this at all. If you guys do, please, please write in and let me know. Then we get an advertisement for Gauntlet Dark Legacy. I guess it's a sort of 3D version of the Gauntlet game that you can either buy on the PlayStation 2 or the GameCube. And they've got the GameCube controllers down there. I guess, you know, Elf could use food badly in uh, 3D now, so that's kind of cool. Uh, there is an advertisement for the Game Boy Advance game, Tekken Advance. I think we covered this. It looks like it might be a card combat type game with a limited amount of players from from the uh, Tekken series. No idea. Then an advertisement for the uh, Luke Perry, Malcolm Jamal Warner series, Jeremiah, which, if I recall, was sort of a post-apocalyptic series that aired on Showtime. This was during the time when Showtime was starting up its own little sort of spade of independent, well, they were trying to break into the TV era, sort of like uh, HBO had done with Sopranos and uh, stuff like that. Showtime was doing that. They had, I know, this series plus a series called Odyssey 5, which probably aired around the same time, which, you know, were interesting series, but I don't think ever came to the acclaim that some of the HBO stuff did. So uh, Luke Perry and Malcolm Jamal Warner in a uh, post-apocalyptic, TV show, if you're interested in, interested in that, there you go. Then the next page after that, we've got the Wizard uh, voting for, I guess, the 2002 comics, uh, Wizard World comics, or actually the 2001 Wizards Comic World's uh, fan awards that you've got. Uh, you could vote in for favorite writer, penciler, breakout talent, inker, Painter, colorist, letterer, editor, hero, heroine, villain, supporting character, ongoing series, one shot, favorite publisher, comic merchandise, comic or TV, comic TV or movie project, and greatest comic moment of 2001. Just for an example, in 2001, what they said were some of the greatest comic moments were Wolverine Waxes Magneto and Ultimate X-Men number six, Wolverine Pops Claws for his first time and Wolverine Origin number two. Superman defeats the Elite in Action Comics 775. Peter Parker reveals the Spider-Man to Mary Jane in Ultimate Spider-Man number 13. And Professor X shoots Cassandra Nova in New X-Men number 115. So the X-Men were still popular in the 2000s. Who would have thought? The back inside cover is the Corn Nuts ad. Less said about that. And the back outside cover is the guy in his boxer shorts, Maximo Ghost to Glory. So I guess it's the... 3D version of the Ghosts and Ghouls game, which you can play in your boxer shorts, which is uncomfortably awkward. But that does it for this issue. Next time out, we're going to be covering another episode of Green... Well, another episode, another issue of Green Lantern. This is going to be Green Lantern number 148. Plus, if I can manage it, we're going to take a look at an enormous book. Green Lantern, The Last Will and Testament of Hal Jordan. It's one that deals with Tom Kalamaku. A lot. So it may be painful to get through. I don't know. I haven't been able to get through reading it yet. So I need to bone down and get on reading it and getting notes ready for it. But hopefully you'll come back for that, despite my ringing endorsement not to. And hopefully you'll be back in seven days for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Until then, we'll see you soon. That made no sense. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. <laughs>
hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonzacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern. The opening music for today's show was Bob Marley and the Wailers with their song, Get Up, Stand Up. This came off their album, Burning. Yes, make your own references to what they were burning. If you'd like to buy this album, or buy this MP3, or buy anything musically related, I would suggest you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com. Not because Two True Freaks has a lot of music on it, well, aside from... Maury Clawhammer singing rats. No, it's because Two True Freaks has a link to Amazon.com, and Amazon.com has some of the best music around. Anytime you want to go to buy something from Amazon, please use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. All you have to do is go to TwoTrueFreaks.com, click on the link, and you'll be transported to Amazon, where you can buy Bob Marley and the Whalers, you can buy Ziggy Marley, you can buy Ziggy Stardust, which might be a better choice in my opinion, because I love me some David Bowie. But all of this stuff and more you can buy for ridiculously low prices. And anytime you use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com, a little bit of the money gets shunted back to the website. It won't cost you anything extra, and it really helps us out. So anytime you feel like buying from Amazon.com, make sure you use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com.